Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Unstoppable Leader Podcast. Today's episode is with Jahan Kalanta, a successful young partner of a law firm and a human rights activist. Jahan is also a lecturer and a TEDx speaker. Now, he describes himself as a little guy lawyer who attributes his human rights learning to his proud Persian heritage, a dislike of bullies, and the belief that one person can make a difference. Now, in this episode, we talk about courage, a practical way to develop resilience, how you can help make a difference in the lives of others, and a really cool framework on how to say sorry. I hope you get a lot out of this and a lot of practical tips from this episode and have some fun along the way. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Unstoppable Leader Podcast. And with me today, I have the amazing Jahan Kalanta. Now, Jahan is a successful young partner of a law firm, head of litigation, and a human rights activist. He's also a lecturer and TEDx speaker. Now, Jahan describes himself as the little guy lawyer. I have to ask the question, why do you call yourself that, Jahan? Oh, firstly, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's really exciting to be here and have the opportunity to sort of share a bit about my background and my story. Um, I'm the little guy lawyer because um, ever since childhood, um, and I'm more than happy to kind of dig into this in a little bit, I've always felt that it's really important that the person with less power have their say or their voice heard. And when I became a lawyer, I didn't become a lawyer to represent the big end of town. I didn't want to help people who already had all the resources in the world. I wanted to sort of use my education and my experience to try to make it fair or at the very least give a better opportunity for people who may not necessarily have their voice heard from the start. And I think a lot of that plays into sort of how I grew up and and I guess my story. Yeah. So tell me, why did you pick law? And the second question straight after that is going to be, what made you head in the human rights direction? Because that's something that is, I'm personally passionate about. So I'm really looking forward to your story. Sure. Um, look, I, I actually, before I became a lawyer, I was a banker for a couple of years. Um, I worked in various banks, financial institutions. And when I was at university, I was always told that the reason you go to university is sort of to get a job. You don't just go there and study. It's, it's, you're going to get a job. So I studied finance. I studied business. And I really didn't care for it. I thought it, was, I thought it was a great job. It was a job where you definitely had a future and you could make a living, but I wasn't really happy with the work that I was doing. It really didn't connect with me. And then when the GFC happened, I was like, okay, great. Well, this is a perfect excuse to find something more stable. Um, I'll go into law, fully expecting to go into law and maybe do a, like, you know, a little bit of pro bono, but primarily do banking sort of stuff because that's the expertise that I had. And so uh, I went in and I became, um, I, I went, I finished law school and I worked at a law firm that I wasn't really passionate about. And an opportunity came up to go and study and become a barrister. Now, it's a bit unusual for younger sort of lawyers to become barristers straight off the bat. It was very popular back yes. in the day. But nowadays, you, you, it, it was less, you know, it was less popular. But I thought I really like having control over my schedule and I like sort of, um, deciding where I'm going to do and what I'm going to do. And I, I took the bar exams and I passed. And so I, I had a little practice. So all of a sudden I had this practice, but I had no clients. Um, and as I was sort of trying to sort of find my feet, I, I found a lot, of, a lot of people that otherwise couldn't access sort of, um, sort of top end of town 
uh, representation would sort of find me. So, you know, I'm, I'm relatively, I'm, I'm Iranian, but, uh, you know, my, my family's Iranian and my heritage is Iranian. And I found that a lot of people would contact me going, look, I, I know a guy who's kind of in this refugee case and he doesn't really know what's going on and he's a little bit overwhelmed. Um, could you just give him some guidance? I know you don't do refugee law. And, I, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll sort of do a bit of that. And then people came to me and said, look, I've been wrongfully accused of a criminal sort of charge. It's not true. And it was work that I never thought I would do, but just because of sort of fate and because I had time, I had nothing else to do. I just opened my practice. I, I started taking on these cases. And with time, you will, uh, law is war and war is momentum. And the mm. two things that really matter I've seen is time and money. And when you have a lot of time, you can compensate for having very little money. And so it, it became sort of this really passion-driven work that I enjoyed doing. And it's funny, I never thought I would be able to earn a living doing it. I, that was the furthest thing from my mind. But as I started, you know, getting wins on the board, people started, you know, giving me other types of work. I started getting other opportunities. And I, I kind of fell into a human rights practice because I guess I followed my passion. Yeah, wow. And I remember reading... You are, there are a few things that you're passionate about, obviously human rights, but you had mentioned bullying. Yeah. I, um, so I, I grew up in Sydney um, yeah. and Sydney is a pretty, it's a lot more cosmopolitan now than it was when I was growing up. But um, I grew up sort of on the North Shore and I was a handful of, I guess, kids that were not typically white Anglo-Saxon Australian. And I my school was excellent and everyone was very thoughtful, but I, I'll never forget. I had this experience when I was in year four where essentially there was uh, a kid did something wrong, yeah. blamed me, and I didn't get to have a fair say. I, I'll never forget intimately. He got to say everything and they just looked at me and assumed I was guilty. And I was put on detention that day. And I remember sitting there and it's, it's, it's visceral. And I sat there and I stewed and I thought, this is bullshit. Yeah. This is so unfair. I w never want anyone ever to feel the way that I'm feeling now. Mm -hmm. And I, if I have to develop a recalcitrant, obstinate attitude to do that and be more assertive, that's what I'm going to do. And that I think was a real turning point for me in developing the passion to stand up for other people because I know what it is like to be the other yes. and I know how much that sucks and I don't want anyone to ever feel it that way. I felt it throughout my career at various times. I felt it um, in general, but that was the first time I really felt that because of something I do not control, I do not get a fair say and that's not right. Maybe that's where the seeds were planted for you becoming a lawyer, Jahan. And you I never, I never right. knew. <laughs> so so I, I know I've, I've read some of the stories. I, I watched your TEDx talk, which was fantastic, by the way. I really loved it. And, and you talk about this young, young kid that you, you helped make a difference in his life, right? You got him out of trouble. And, and I'm sure you've got plenty of stories. And, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I, I look at your, your childhood and, and where you came from and where you are today. And I bet you a lot of it is around resilience and how you've managed to pull yourself out of difficult situations and become the successful young lawyer that you are today. And I know that's a topic that you love, Jahan. So what do you, what do you say about or how do you help young people, especially in the area of resilience, and what do you do for them 
at the moment. That's very kind. Um, that's a very, very kind uh, assertion, and I'm grateful for it. In terms of resilience, I mean, I'm a lawyer by trade, so I think words are super important. Um, mm. you know, that's the lens I see the world through, words, and other people see it through feelings, but, but I see it through words. So resilience has a really specific meaning. And I think that as a society, the first thing is we have to understand what it means because yes. we conflate it. We conflate grit, resilience, determination. Mm. We lump them into one barrel and say, this person is resilient. And it's not. Resilience is not not getting knocked down. Resilience is what do we do when we get knocked down? How do we stand up again? And how do we learn from the things that we can learn from, discount the things that we can't learn from, and mm. move forward again? And it's, it's, I find that one of the big problems that, I, that, that seems to be pervasive is the sense of, and it's understandable because there's a lot of social media and social media is the highlights reel of someone else's life versus yes. the, 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 the very the reality. <laughs> Absolutely, the reality of your life. Yeah. Um, people are not prepared to make mistakes. People are not prepared to take risks because they are worried that if they don't succeed, there will be an enormous fall from grace and that, you know, they'll be ruined. Um, and so I guess the first thing I would say about resilience and the, the, the most powerful lesson is this. If you try and you fail, Congratulations, because I guarantee you 99% of people will not even try. Yes, I agree. You're already light years ahead of your competition if you try and fail. You don't even need to succeed because not many people will try. Yeah. But, you know, it's such a hard thing, especially when you're young. Like if you can think back and, and you're young enough that hopefully you'll remember too, uh, is, is when you look at that age is between 10 to 15, that's the hardest time to build resilience because you're trying yep. to find yourself, right? Um, and I also know that you, do you work with a lot of young people, John? I do, I do, yeah. I, 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 have do. Um, I know you have the privilege of representing them, but I bet you, you kind of become an informal coach. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the world's more complicated now than it was, I think, even when I was younger, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was younger, if somebody wanted to say something mean, they'd say it to your face yes. and you could take it, you could not take it. But now with cyberbullying, with, with um, you know, uh, the, the technology that people can gossip about behind someone's back, make them into cruel memes, um, it, it really is, a, it's a very different world. And I, yeah. the cornerstone, because I'm sure you've experienced this in your line of work, you can't become a success like you are without, you've, you get knocked down, oh. it hurts. Even as, even as recent as last week, so don't worry. Keep <laughs> yeah. so, Look, I was being yelled at by a judge probably 48 hours ago, you know. Um, it, it's a little bit less stinging because it's over video link now, but it's still sting. <laughs> yeah. um, but but it's, it's that resilience that you build. Um, Hugh Van Kylenberg wrote a fantastic book called The Resilience Project, which talks a lot about these sort of issues and these things. But one of the things that he sort of focuses in on is really mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I think mindfulness is, has become in some circles a buzzword that's so broad as to mean nothing, but it really is just this, this idea that you exist in a moment and you inhabit that moment and you give yourself fully to that moment. Like in this conversation that we're having, I feel that I am giving you the best version of myself and I'm receiving the best version of you. Absolutely. And that's a powerful thing because in life, we spend 99% of our life really in low gear. You know, you can go through a whole day giving automatic responses to everything. 
how's your day going? Good, thanks. I'll have the same thing I have. And, and for us to sort of step back from that and say, okay, I'm going to live in this moment. I'm going to share my truth and my story because there's value in my truth and my story is a very strong resilience tool. But at 10 to 15, you're not sure what your voice is. Mm. You're not sure what you're going to say. And it's very hard for you to describe the feelings inside. I mean, I'm 33 and I still don't know what all of my emotions feel like. Mm. You know, sometimes I think I'm angry when I'm actually hurt. Sometimes I think I'm, you know, you, and, and for a child or young adult on their way to adulthood, those emotions all coalesce and collate. And it's, it's very hard. Like uh, children have it tough. I mean, if you see a young person trying, just give them a high five, give them a hug. Like they, it is really hard. Especially now, it's really tough. And, and I'm hearing some terrible stories of suicides, et cetera, at the moment, especially with COVID. So it's a really tough one. What was the name of that book, Jahan? Is that, is that um, a book that's easy enough for a young person to read, The Resilience Project, or is it a... It's, it's fantastic. It's uh, I don't know Hugh personally, but I read his book and I feel like I know him, and that's a sign that it's a good book. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's, it's called The Resilience Project. It's a fantastic book um, that has really practical tools that help in mm. relation to, um, you know, uh, w- what it means to build resilience, what resilience looks like. Um, it talks about gem, gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness and how those are skills that you can build. It's a good book for young people. I'd, I'd urge them to read it. And, and more importantly, it talks about the importance of like practical skills, like journaling, writing down what you feel. So when you're actually coaching these young people, and I know you're a lawyer, so I shouldn't really use that word, but I know I know you, you do that too. What are some of the practical ways you've helped young people who are in difficult situations? Well, you've got to, you've got to be cognizant and not put your lens of the world into the minds of other people, which is really hard to do, especially when you're an older person. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm not that old, but yeah. I'm older than a 15-year-old. And it's very easy for me with my lifetime of experience, my advantages, my, my viewpoint to turn around and say, well, why don't you just do A, B, C? Like, how can you not see that's the solution? Which is ridiculous because learning what the solutions are and developing those skills is the point of adulthood. It's the point of coaching. So I always try firstly to remove myself from the, from the, uh, I guess the, what would I do if I was in their situation? Because I'm not in their situation and I don't have their experience. I don't have their story. And I, and I try to be very empathetic and just listen. I think that um, it, one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing and has found has worked for me is the Socratic method, which is you, you get so much by asking the right questions. You can have entire conversations just in question format. And if you're asking those questions with a genuine desire to understand what someone is feeling, why they feel that, yeah. It comes out. So, so I think the first step is assume you know nothing. Have a student mm-hmm. mentality. Have a student mentality when you're talking to someone. Two, you've got to deal with the practical. It is very difficult for you to reach your highest levels of success if you don't have food, mm-hmm. if you don't have a, a warm, safe bed. You know, I've, I've had people who are so much more driven, smarter, harder working than I am that have real problems that are of a practical nature, which need to be ameliorated and addressed before we can deal with anything like that. You know, if, yes. you're, if you're worried about where you're going to be in two days' time, if, you're, if your family's getting evicted, those are things you have to really deal with, practical adult things that need mm. to be dealt with. So I try to deal with the practical. And then thirdly, 
I, I try to get them to understand that this too shall pass. That was a really valuable lesson. When you're in the middle of an emotion, when you're in the middle of something, it's very easy to feel that this will be the way it is forever. And that's, and that's, that's what I think makes a lot of these younger people make choices that they can't take back. Absolutely. That's such a powerful one. I don't even remember when I first learned that phrase, this too shall pass. I think it would have been at least two decades ago, but it's the best thing that someone taught me. But as you said, you have to be aware of teaching something like that to a 10-year-old is very different compared to when I learned that in my 20s or 30s. It's, it's, you're in a very different space and place in your life. So it's, it's quite tough. So I'm going to actually bring you back to yourself and to the TEDx talk. Sure. Now, how did you get there? And what did you do? <laughs> so, so I, um, in my criminal practice, which is where I spend a lot of my time, I do a lot of family law, I do a lot of criminal, a lot of litigation. Um, I started noticing patterns in about the second or third year of practice. Hmm. And the pattern was that judges and judges are much smarter than I am and they are finely tuned to detect BS see hundreds of cases annually and they have to make with very little time a uh, get a picture of whether this person will do this again or will not do this again whether this person's a good person or a bad person there's metrics for that obviously if you've done it before that doesn't help you but what i really started to see because i would sit down with all of my clients and one of the things i try to do is really understand intimately what my clients have gone through because every person I've had, no matter how awful what they've done is, has one or two stories they tell me, which breaks my heart, which mm -hmm. I just want to go, I can't believe you had to go through that. Like that's awful. Every single client and every single person I believe has one or two truly awful moments in their life that if you knew about, you would treat them very differently than you treat yeah. them now. And so I started to notice this pattern of how of how to communicate getting this message out from them getting this pain getting this not not justification but explanation and trying to convert it into a way that the court could quickly understand and so i came up with my formula why because and so when you say sorry why are you sorry you know, I'm, I'm i'm sorry maria that we're not filming this on my laptop because I should have planned that my laptop would need all these updates all of a sudden. And in the future, if I'm ever lucky enough to be on your podcast, I'll make sure I have the technical equipment set up. So I've yeah. explained what I'm sorry about, mm. the way that it has impacted you, and the way that I intend to modify my behavior going forward so that you know it, it results in a different outcome. And I started to see, and this was, and, and this was remember, I worked in finance, so yes. while I wasn't an expert at it, I know how to control for key variables. And while obviously my advocacy was improving, it certainly didn't improve in, from year two to year three to get the kind of results that we were getting. So it had to be something different. It had to be a different variable. And I found it was the variable of the genuine contrition and remorse. And so I thought this is a pretty interesting thing to talk about. And so Ted did a call out for speakers. And I did like a one or two minute video about the idea of. This why because and this is how you say sorry. And I got invited to go and, and pitch at a pitch night. And I went there. And the idea was sort of what it was when it got to Ted, but it was still unclear. But I pitched and I got, um, they said, look, we, we like your idea. We think there's something here. 
And over the next year, I worked with some of the most intelligent, amazing curators. TED, TEDx Sydney has one of the most brilliant teams you've ever seen. And together, we, I started out writing basically this long diatribe, which then got reduced down to like four elements, then got pushed back, and then eventually it turned into what you saw on stage um, after about a year of polishing, cutting, editing. And it was really cool because it was my chance to share something which I think is really practical because you, you will never apologize. Whenever you have to apologize and you mean it, you're not in a good headspace. Yes. I, I think it's a fantastic formula. I mean, it doesn't matter which situation in life. Can you repeat that again? So what were the three elements? Why? Because and. So, Why because and? So, so you, it also works for gratitude. That's the other Yes. You know, Maria, I'm really grateful that you allowed me to be on your podcast because I know that you have such a commitment to personal development and it helps me develop that inside myself. And in the future, I want you to come onto my podcast and share your story the other side around. And it, that's true. It's completely true. But it, because I've got a formula, I don't need to search my mind for you know, w- weird words that might not connect with you. It, I don't have to do anything other than express what I feel inside. And to each, to each to their ability, to each to their means, everyone can use this. You don't have to use the most fancy words. I, in, in the TEDx talk, I even share an example of, I had a shop fitter who had a, you know, less than stellar education who wrote a ridiculous apology, but it was so thoughtful. It really, really showed he was sorry. And that was why he avoided a serious penalty. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, I think that the part that I like about the apology is the, the heartfelt nature of it. Because until you realize the impact on another human being or whoever it is you've impacted or affected, it's not really an apology. Absolutely. You can't be, a, it, it's not a heartfelt apology if you can't get to why. Hmm. Yeah. Agree. I could write a whole book on that topic, you know, um, you know, uh, and sometimes you don't feel sorry. If you don't feel sorry, don't say sorry. Uh, it's better to not say sorry than to say it disingenuously. Yeah, totally People. agree. Love that. Absolutely. It's a simple formula, but I, I really like the reverse of it on gratitude too. So what's next for Jahan? Well, look, I, 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 you're hearing it first. I'm in the middle of writing a, I'm writing a book on sort of some technology, uh, some uh, communication techniques so that that should be um that should be coming out when i get around to finishing it so it's 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 on the desk not easy to write a book to answer (laughs) you know what i I might have to watch some of your podcasts on people who are unstoppable with uh with their procrastination because i'm doing that but i'm working a lot on that um you know i do a fair bit of keynote speaking on these topics um i'm I'm a big believer in the power of having a a bhag or you know being Mm. hairy this goal and i want to affect you know, a hundred thousand people with my, with my story and with, you know, with, with my sharing. And I'm trying to do that through, you know, sometimes it's one-on-one stuff, you know, you know, you, you take on a case, um, you know, you really get to help that person. No one comes to me because their life is great. You know, that's just the yeah. nature of a lawyer, you know, yeah. no one comes to me because particularly in litigation and dispute resolution, you're coming to me because it's that bad and we need to have that discussion. But one of the things that, um, that, that I try to do is it's always within your power to make a situation worse. Mm. So don't do that. You know, you might be going through a horrendous divorce and a divorce is, I think I saw it some, I don't even know where I got this clip, but um, I think I was on Netflix, unfortunately, but it was 
divorce is as close as the average person comes to going to war. It, and it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it, and it is, it is, it is a all consuming behemoth that will, if you allow it, destroy your life, even if you win. And yes. remember, there's, there's very rarely winning um, no. in a situation like that. Nobody wins. No, nobody wins. So you have it within you to make your situation worse. So don't do that. You know, yeah. everyone within us has the power to make our situation better or worse. And one of the rules that I try to live by is I really, and I, I don't always succeed, but I really try to make it that anyone whose path I cross, they leave at least as good as they entered. Like I don't want their life to be worse for having met me or interacted with me. So the goal is to sort of continue the speaking. Um, I think that we can make a huge impact in the lives of younger people. Um, I'm a huge believer in that. Yes. Um, and if we can teach children that emotions are mentionable and manageable, mm. we will do an enormous, enormous service for yes. the world into adulthood. Oh, because absolutely. It's the people who don't know that you can talk about your feelings, that you can understand them and that you can master them. And mastering them does not mean ignoring them. It means coping with them. It means having the skills to deal with them. Then we will have ushered in, I think, such good for the world. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think if you keep talking and sharing the stories, Jahan, and I think if you focus on those two areas that you, you do so well, which is the resilience and the communication, I think that addresses a number of issues with young people and all ages, honestly. I mean, communication resilience is not something that you learn just between 10 and 15. You're forever learning it. I'm still learning it. So it Absolutely. never ends. It never you ends. Always sharpen your communication skills. That's just the nature of communication. And you'll never be everyone's cup of tea. You know, there's, uh, I love it when I come up against a, a really challenging communication situation because it gives you a chance to stretch your abilities. You know, when you meet someone who truly dislikes you at a, like a really visceral level, it's quite powerful to see how can I get this person to go from despising me to just strongly disliking me? You know, that's a, it, it's 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 a fun thing to do because it's hard. It's really hard. Yes. Oh, I can I can only imagine. Well, my sincere, heartfelt wishes that you get to make the difference in the lives of those hundred thousand people, and I hope a lot of them are children because you're young that you can make that impact with young people, Jahan. So I wish you all the best, and, and thank and you I, so thank much you. for being here. You, you you're far too kind. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be on your awesome podcast. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of listening to a couple of episodes, and um, it's 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 awesome work that you're doing, and it's really nice to be here. Thank you. And by the way, if people wanted to reach you for whatever reason, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Jahan? Um, JahanKalanta.com. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, Um, that's where all my stuff is. That's where my TEDx talk is. Um, if you know. Uh, Anytime you want to reach out, that's the way you, you know, that's the best way to reach me. If they have a legal problem, um, info at executivelegal.com.au. And um, if we can help you in any way, shape or form, whoever's listening to this, we'd love to help. That's why we're here. I hope all of the young people listening to this get to reach out to you. And we I wish also, you the best. I'm, also, I'm actually also very popular on Instagram because people find my... Um, People find my my antics amusing. So Jahan Kalanta on Instagram. If you're I, I do love your little dog. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, she's my baby. She's my baby child. And she, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm on Instagram as well. And if you direct message me, I'm sure the person that deals with that at my social media team, who's much cooler than I am, will make sure I get it. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Thank you so much, Jahan. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you, Maria. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning into the Unstoppable Leader podcast with me, your host, Maria Pettisetti. And if I may ask you for a favor, please drop me a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. I'd love your feedback and love to hear what you think. And if you want to stay up to date with me and the business that I'm in, then please check out my LinkedIn page, Maria Patisetti, or our website, theunstoppableleader.com. That is theunstoppableleader.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be unstoppable.